It is my pleasure to be able to introduce our preacher for this morning when we um, were thinking of who we could have come and share stories of faithfulness and God at work in their lives. Um, immediately, I thought of my dear friend, Sandaya Oaks. Um, she is an amazing uh, testament of just God's faithfulness in her life. And then following that call, she moved to Minnesota a little over a year ago um, in order to work with crew at the U, um, which used to be Krampus Crusade, and now they are crew. And so she works um, at the U, and she also works with their um, lenses program to talk through racial reconciliation on campus and how to um, see the world through other people's eyes um, through story. And so we have invited her to share with us this morning, and she's going to bring all of her energy and all of her great stories about God's faithfulness in her life. If you've been taking our Enneagram, cl- Enneagram classes, she is a seven with a wing eight, um, so she brings a lot of joy and a lot of um, just all of praising God with who she is and the way that she she chooses to live her life. So would you um, join me as we welcome her up here, and then I'm going to pray for her. Would you pray with me? Good and gracious God, we thank you so much for um, the gifts that you have um, given us and the ways that you have walked alongside of us um, God, I just lift up my sister to you, and I lift up her words this morning. God, would you speak through her? Would you you share with us um, your faithfulness through her story? In your holy and precious name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, Alicia. Good morning. It is a joy and pleasure and an honor to be here with all of you this morning. I'm going to start off here. It was June 2014. My plane had just taken off from Minneapolis Airport and was en route to Paris, France, with one brief layover in Canada. I was about to embark on a uh, six-week journey with about 17 college students and a couple of co-staff. We were going to go and share the gospel in Paris uh, for the next six weeks and develop and grow our skills in evangelism. One thing you need to know is that I used to not be able to fly well. I've had some very, very traumatic flights. I've had a couple of flight attendants say to me a few times, that's the most uh, turbulence I've ever had on a flight. And I, my friends don't want to fly with me because this always happens to me. And so I didn't love flying. That's changed in the recent. But that year was my year of courage. That's the word that I had chosen that year, and God had chosen with me. And um, I, it was a step, to, a step of courage to even say yes to leading the trip, let alone flying overseas. As we took off, we it was cloudy, kind of like today, and um, it was pretty stormy, I would say. And from what I remember is that the plane just never hit that equilibrium, that, that settling in, and the little light where it says you can walk up, um, you can walk to the restroom, never went off. So I kind of already was in angst and just wanted to get through these flights. I had already taken enough drugs to, to, to try to chill me out, but it, it didn't work. It was then, shortly after takeoff, that our plane was struck by lightning. And so I remember very, very well that I I didn't know what had happened. I thought something had backfired on the plane and no one had said anything. So we were still kind of ascending, shaking, but nothing, no one was telling us what had happened. So I think I was waiting for the drop to happen. 
And so can you imagine, I'm already afraid, and then this happens. And at this point, I guarantee you, PTSD had just set in. I tried to keep as much composure as possible, which is barely anything. And the students around me were asking me, are you okay? Because I was sobbing. I was so terrified, and nothing was calming me down in that moment. Eventually, throughout the rest of the flight, uh, it was pretty shaky. We landed in Canada, and I I had made a vow at that point to say, I I quit my job with crew. I'm going to find a bus from Canada. I'm going to drive back to Minneapolis, quit my job here, and then go and work at Starbucks back in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. That was my plan. And so I had three hours on this layover in Canada to figure out what to do or how to move forward. And as one of the leaders, I felt like I had to keep it together for the students and for my co-staff. I was terrified. I was sick to my stomach. And right before, uh, within 45 minutes of when we were about to board the next next plane to go to Paris, I grabbed one of my co-leaders and I brought her into the bathroom. And I said, I just need you to stand here while I pray. I don't need you to ask any questions. I don't need you to do anything. I just need you to listen and be with me in prayer. I prayed a furious prayer that day. I demanded that God would give me courage. I demanded that I would be able to be strong enough to get on that next flight. I demanded that his Holy Spirit would be able to empower me, be able to help me in that moment. I ended up getting on that next flight, very still terrified, but knowing that I had to move forward. And so I got on that flight, went that eight hours to Paris, and landed in Paris and waited because the next six weeks were going to be on the ground, and then eventually I would fly again. I have personally found that it is during the stomach-twisting, rapid heart-beating, mind-swirling, panic moments in which believing God's faithfulness is the hardest for me. It's during these moments when I find myself practically demanding God's faithfulness as if I'm trying to control it or call it into being what's already there beyond my control. It's moments like getting back on the plane after a traumatic experience that God's faithfulness is quite present. In order for me to experience his faithfulness in real time, I need to pause, look to him, and find rest in his promises. I don't want to just name God's faithfulness in my story, but my hope is to allow God's trustworthy track record to spur me on to walk by faith and depend on him. This morning, I want to walk us together um, through some scriptures and examples that will help hopefully encourage you to look to God and his faithfulness and allow the Holy Spirit to empower you to move towards him with a faithful heart and an attitude as a response. God has many attributes, and among the many, of, uh, many one of those is faithfulness. When we say God is faithful, it means he is totally trustworthy and he is perfectly faithful. The prophet Isaiah wrote, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness, you have done marvelous things, things planned long ago. The prophet Jeremiah wrote, The Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We find God amplifying his faithfulness from cover to cover in the word. 
The scriptures reveal a number of different ways in which God has shown his faithfulness. And this morning, I'm going to focus on three specific scriptures that highlight God's promises and share a few stories of how I've seen his faithfulness play out in my own journey. My first truth that I want to unpack is that God is faithful in comforting you. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus declares eight blessings that make up the Beatitudes. And one of these blessings is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. It says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We have all mourned something at some point, whether it's the death of a loved one, the loss of a job, the loss of a friendship, a relationship an identity. In times of loss or mourning, it is natural to become distant, discouraged, or disengaged with God. And while your human emotions can consume you in seasons of loss, God's faithfulness will carry you through. God will comfort your spirit and you can overcome with Christ. And God will comfort your spirit and you can overcome with Christ as your focus. God's comfort can restore and revive your broken spirit. This blessing is a promise that I know quite well and cling to as I have known what it is to deeply mourn. I'm going to share a little bit of my story, and I just want to give you a little heads up. It's pretty traumatic, and it's pretty painful. I was originally born in India, in New Delhi, and I was an orphan my first year of my life. When I was one... I was adopted by my parents in Wisconsin. My family already had three biological sons, and I was the last one to come into my home. I can remember being really little and wondering if my parents even loved me because of the way I saw them treat me versus my brothers. From when I was really little, I was pretty abused and neglected by my mom, my dad, my brothers, and my extended family. And that abuse comes in various ways, but if you can use your imagination, it was all of the ways possible. I remember being told that I was the thing that lived in the basement and in it. That's what they called me. They didn't call me by my first name. And they had told me from a really young age, if we could send you back, we would, because we don't love you and no one will ever love you. I didn't know where this came from. I remember asking my mom and dad, Like, well, why did you adopt me then? And in response, my mom and dad had said, well, we wanted a daughter we could be proud of. I don't know what fourth grader has something to show their parents to be proud of, like a spelling bee or something like that, nothing. And we don't really need someone to be proud of us. We need someone's love at that age. The abuse and the trauma and the neglect got worse and worse and worse. Some people tried to intercede, but it didn't, it didn't help. When I turned uh, 13, I was told that when I would turn 18, I would be completely disowned and separated from my parents. I'd be abandoned by them again. And so when I turned 18, the day before, my parents ended up changing the locks on our doors And they had said, by midnight tomorrow, you need to be out. And I had heard this before, but I didn't know if it was actually true until that moment. 
And so that next day, on my 18th birthday, I was disowned by my parents and re-orphaned again. This is not how adoption was meant to be. And I call my adoption a broken adoption. I have gone through counseling. I have great friends and mentors in my life. And I have Jesus. And yet, it is still such a mourning story. As I started to come to know the Lord in college, it wasn't until my senior year, I ended up understanding that I could be readopted, that I was loved beyond what I even knew. And when I came into relationship with God, I started to grow and understand, and I started to heal. Through my healing journey, I've seen God show up in many different ways. And in one of the ways was through people's prayer for me. I remember being in a season of asking, God, where were you? Where were you with that little girl who was crying and being hurt in that basement? Why didn't you show up? Why didn't you do something? I remember inviting a couple friends to, in, to pray that same prayer and have him show me. A few days later, I was having a quiet time, and I remember putting my head down to pray, and I, I closed my eyes, and this image flashed in front of my eyes. And it was my basement. It was the cold brick wall, cement floor basement. It wasn't a room. It was just the basement where I lived. And I remember feeling like I remember seeing this, this image. And as I looked around my room in the image, I saw this man clothed in white kneeling like this next to my bed. And I knew that it was Jesus. And he was weeping. He was sobbing. And I knew exactly what he was feeling because he was feeling the same emotions I felt so often as a kid. And I prayed and I started talking to the Lord and I said, like, like you, you were there, like, that's you. And you said, you asked for this and I'm giving it to you. You didn't know I was there because you didn't know me at that point, but I was there. I was hurting as you were being hurt, as one of my precious sheep. And in that moment, I had this sense of, of healing, of, of thankfulness, of awe, of wonder, and of gratitude that, that he was there. And he revealed that to me, even though I didn't know it. And that did something for me. That brought a, a peace, that brought a hope, and that brought this, this ability to think like, wow, like he really knows me, and he was really with me. And it, it moved me forward in my healing journey. Yeah, yeah, amen. And so I journaled out what I saw, and then I told a few people, and they just celebrated with me. And I went back and told the people who had prayed that prayer with me. And it was, it's something I hold on to really sacredly. He comforted me, even in a moment that was beyond what it actually had happened in real time. God will not only use his scriptures to comfort us, but he will also comfort us beyond our own human understanding. The promise of God's comfort is that he offers to meet us in those dark, painful, and oppression-heavy moments. It allows us to continue to move forward and provides reassurance 
and rest for our weary souls. God is faithful in comforting us when we are mourning and walking through pain. He was faithful when I was hurting, and he promises to do the same for you. In 2 Corinthians verse 12, uh, 12 verse 9, in the second, is the second truth, which, sorry, let's start that over. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 is the second truth which highlights God's faithfulness. Paul is speaking, and he says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. We see here that God is faithful in strengthening you through himself when you are weak. In this verse, Paul speaks to the church at Corinth, reminding them that God's grace and power is available to strengthen them during their seasons of weakness. These words affirm the reality that you don't have to be ashamed of your weakness because God's grace will cover and strengthen you. Let me repeat that again. These words reaffirm the reality that you don't have to be ashamed of your weakness because God's grace will cover and strengthen you. God's purpose in our weakness is to glorify the grace and power of his son, Jesus. This is the main point of verses 9 through 10. Jesus says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And God's design is to make you a showcase for Jesus' power. But not necessarily the way the world demands, not by getting rid of all of our weaknesses, but by giving strength to endure and even enjoy tribulation. The deepest need that you and I have in weakness is not quick relief, even though that's what I try to seek out and long for. But the deepest need is the well-grounded confidence that what is happening to us is part of the greatest purpose of God, the glorification of the grace and power of his Son. His faithfulness is revealed through our weakness. And we allow his strength to be ours. We must turn to God for help rather than resist the vulnerable places. It is then when we will see his glory revealed and we'll have something to boast about to all those around us. Being vulnerable vulnerable is contrary to what the world tells us. The world teaches teaches us that we must be strong and keep our lives together. God is inviting us to take a risk and be vulnerable today. Will you respond to his faithfulness with trust and reliance on his promises? The last truth I want to look at is God's faithfulness in providing for you. Paul writes, And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19 When you may feel that life is unfair, be reminded that God is a provider. Your needs are being met. You may not have everything you want, but you actually do have everything you need. Trusting God to provide your needs when you don't see a way 
develops a stronger dependence on God and spiritual maturity. We must not forget that the one who created us, who is all-knowing, ever-present, and most powerful, knows what we need and when we need it. We can trust his character and his word when he says he will provide. If you find yourself doubting this truth and engaging in an inner dialogue that is something like this, yeah, but this one time I asked him for something that I really needed and wanted and he didn't show up. I would pray and invite the Holy Spirit to reveal where this resentment and doubt is coming from and to show you a bigger picture of how God may have shown up and just in a different way than what you have longed for. The prophet of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah reminds us in chapter 55 verses 8 through 9, for your thoughts, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God sees our past, our present, and our future. And we can trust him because he knows our needs and he cares for us and is our ultimate provider. His faithfulness, his faithfulness has shown us this time and time again. That last breath of air, that was God's faithfulness. The fact that you are sitting here this morning, that is God's faithfulness. The fact that you'll be able to move through those doors and walk or move through, the, through those doors after this service, that is God's faithfulness. It's everywhere. His provision is so abundant. And yes, there are seasons in life where you may ask yourself, how am I going to make it? How am I going to survive? You may feel stretched financially, emotionally, or spiritually. But God will take care of you because he cares and takes care of his children. As I mentioned earlier, I was disowned and abandoned by my adoptive family the day I turned 18. In God's faithfulness, he didn't leave me as an orphan a second time. He met my desire for belonging by providing a spiritual family and community, even when I thought I would never have family again. I have many spiritual moms and dads, many spiritual brothers and sisters. And this is how God gets the glory, because there is no way in my own power, in my own humanness, that I could force others to love me and scoop me up in their lives. There's just no way. God has redeemed and continues to restore my sense of belonging through providing loving community through his creation. And that is the beauty of his faithfulness, which has been written into my story. I love that God's provisions are not limited to material possessions. God will provide you peace of mind courage, renewal, direction, rest, and hope. 
God is a God of abundance, and he so generously wants to provide for us according to his plans and his ways. And yet those are better than what we could ever imagine for ourselves. May we respond to his faithfulness through faithfully turning to him with hearts of expectancy and gratitude. He is so faithful and so trustworthy. Because God is so faithful, we can be empowered by the Holy Spirit and his word to turn away from ourselves and worldly pursuits and instead look to him for comfort in times of mourning, for strength in times of weakness, and provision when we have needs. Would you pray with me? Lord, you are so faithful. It is from cover to cover in the scriptures, it's evident. And it's evident as we sit here this morning and we look to you. Would you help us to be able to know your word more and let that stir our affections for you? Would you help us to see and trust your faithfulness as you've done in many, many, many ways for us? And would we respond by being faithful to you, not going to other things or finding other ways to trust, but just to rely and rest on your promises that you are so faithful. Lord, would you give us the courage, would you empower us, and would you equip us through your Holy Spirit to be able to trust you more than anything else? We love you, Lord, but not nearly as much as you love us. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.